0: this is raspberry lemonade the arnold palmer of podcasts a refreshing dive into the stories of industry professionals both sweet and sour and now your host mr levi
1: We're back on Raspberry Lemonade. Today we have a very special guest, Russell, and co-hosting today, my good friend, Mickey. Welcome. How's it
2: going, everybody? How's it going? Good to see everybody.
1: How's everyone feeling today? Everyone doing all right? Yes.
2: Uh, it's bright and sunny.
1: It sure is. It's hot. I'm glad if we have AC. Right, it's, a, it's a blessing to have AC. So, Russell, welcome to the podcast.
0: Well, thank you so much. Happy to be
1: here. Yeah, awesome to have you. We were able to talk quite a bit off air and you have a huge story, which unfortunately we won't be able to get to most of it today. But what is one thing that you want the audience to remember from this podcast? And as we go throughout the podcast that we'll probably touch on
0: a little bit. I think anyone, particularly in today's time, I think that people really need to understand where the fight is being fought on a personal level, and it's about self-concept, it's about self-definition, self-perception, what you accept and acknowledge as the truth about yourself inwardly, because ultimately what you accept and acknowledge as the truth about yourself inwardly will determine what your life can and will produce outwardly, so it's the kind of fight if you win. You win it all, but if you lose, you could lose it all. Oh, my goodness.
1: It's right off the bat. We're starting off super deep. I love it. (laughs) All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about you, Russell.
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself and your business. What do you do? Well, I started a special needs oriented business upon my release from prison in 2010. I had served 20 years and I had life for accessory to bunch of crimes. I wasn't directly involved, but I was on drugs and certainly involved. And so I had to pay that price. And I, when I got home, I decided that I wanted to be a blessing. I wanted to do something that would be a blessing to my environment. And that was the premise upon which I arrived back home. So I started a special needs oriented business where I could service the people who were the most vulnerable members of our community. Uh, but do it in such a way that brought them dignity, but that was in such a way that they could afford.
1: Of course. Yeah, that's a wonderful, wonderful concept that you had there. We'll get more into detail on like how you went about it and, you know, the struggles that came with it, the obstacles that you had to deal with. Now, now let me ask you something, Russell. When you tell people that you were in prison, what tends to be like the reaction to that?
0: People uh, immediately become uh, very... Well, in some cases, people become standoffish and we can, uh, I can see where uh, people might be a little apprehensive about uh, talking to me. I think what people don't understand about people who had spent a long time in prison is that we received an awful lot of therapy. The state of California,
1: <laughs> California spent- Tell us many- more about that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> they
0: spent millions of dollars providing therapy for people who had life sentences because the last thing they wanted was for someone to be released from prison and for them to have another Willie Horton situation. In other words, a guy gets out yeah. on, on you know, parole or a furlough and then you know, does something awful. No politician want, wanted that, and so they decided to spend millions of dollars uh, on therapy, which was the very best thing they could have possibly done. We had some of the best therapists in the state of California, so that when we came home, we were prepared. We had the tools. Uh, to deal with everything. We had one therapist. She was really good. She said to us, when you guys get home, you guys are going to be like observers in an insane asylum. And your first order of business is to make sure that the insanity of the asylum does not become your insanity. You guys (laughs) need to understand that people on the street don't have time for therapy. They have only have time to raise their kids, go to work, get an education and pay bills. So the advantage that you have is to be able to sit down in the yard all day and work out your issues and your setup and your family, the origins of your family and the generational dysfunction that you have. People on the street don't have time for that. So that when you get home, you're going to have to make sure that you don't fall into the same trap that you fell into before you got, because your inability to navigate your family of origin and your community of origin, is what led you to us to begin with. Mm. She said, never give up your power. You always have the ability to turn Mm. your back and walk away. So that kind of thing enabled us to really navigate. Once we came back home, we were able to really navigate and make our way. Definitely. Wow. Gives me chills right there. Awesome hearing this
1: part of the story. And we'll see how it ties into everything else. So you said you started a... uh, call it like a barber type like a mobile barber type business kind of targeting the uh, less unfortunate ones or you, you mentioned the those with special needs correct
0: well initially i had i well, i have a shot i had a shop for 12 years and many of my clientele were elderly people and so over the years they just weren't able to come in anymore the way they used to mm-hmm. so i decided to invest in a vehicle that could deliver haircuts to them. So I bought a cargo van and turned it into a barber van. And in 2018, I did that with the special needs community in mind. What I didn't realize is that less than two years from then, the entire community would be special needs. And so, yes, and so fresh air became an issue whereas it never was an issue before. As you know, those of us who work in our industry work between zero and two feet of a person's face so that we had been sharing airspace with people for generations. That became untenable. And during the COVID uh, crisis, many barbers, particularly older barbers, died yeah. and spread disease yeah. because there was just no other way for us to administer the service. Right. So we had to come up with something new. And so that's where the this fresh air came in with regard to the, at first it was just about making it convenient and delivering yeah. haircuts. You know, I used to tell my barber friends, it's if you do the math, you'll see that it's cheaper. It's more cost effective that way, it's more cost effective for you to deliver haircuts than it is for people to come get them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And like you said,
2: talk the- about making lemonade out of lemons, huh? Right. It's <laughs>
1: perfect for this podcast.
2: <laughs> oh, I love it. I feel like it's really important that uh, I bring up the fact that I saw Russell's van a couple, now a couple months ago when i was driving by on atlantic i'll never forget that cuz i saw a man giving another person a nice haircut i could tell it was a nice haircut from that far away and i remember just parking pulling over and calling levi and saying you we've got to interview this guy i I've, i haven't even introduced myself to him and i know it's got i know it's going to be a great idea to talk to him it, it, there's got to be a story behind how there's this mobile barbershop here and seems to be doing great
1: yeah definitely i was so excited once uh he gave me that call it was super random too like in a <laughs> i don't even know it was like a wednesday or something during the day i was like it's not usual for him to call me at this time but <laughs> i was like hey can i call yeah. you I gotta talk to you now. yeah and as soon as he told me just just the premise like the concept of, of a mobile barber and i was like that's genius you know and then he got to talking with you a little bit and you know he that's when he told me he was like we have to talk to this guy. Right, we man. have to interview this I'm guy. I'm encouraged by that. Yeah. So thank you again for coming on and taking the time. Going back to talking about the, the business, you mentioned how especially during the COVID crisis, right, fresh air was like a luxury, right? And getting a haircut, like you mentioned as well, there's really no way around it. Like you have to be in very close proximity to to the client or, or in the barber, depending on which, which side of the chair you're on.
2: It's one of the few industries where it's strictly dependent on that, you know, proximity.
0: And if you think about it, there's only a a few people in the world who you let in that close to your face. Yeah. You actually, you know, that's your personal space. A
2: significant other, a child, a grandparent maybe.
0: Absolutely. And so if you're going to allow a stranger in that, you need to make sure that the precautions are there. Because while you might be able to take that bad air, Mm -hmm. the people you go home to may not. Yeah. And we that's had to exactly take that right. into consideration. Under no circumstances were we willing to throw caution to the wind as it relates to other people's lives. So we had to develop something different, and so that's what we did. You know, it must be a constant flow of fresh air in our face and your face going forward for the general public from now on.
2: And and it's surprising because most other barbershops kind of developed this devil-may-care attitude towards servicing others. Right. And it's understandable. I mean, in the economy and the way things sit in the world... Financially, you can't really just press the brakes and keep That's them, right. keep them on. That's right. You got to keep going. So it's it's really it's it's really inspirational to see that you found a way to circumnavigate that issue that arose from the pandemic.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. So tell us a little more about that. When you you, you said you had a barbershop for how many years again? I had a braid you? shop,
0: and for twelve years. For twelve years. Yes, and we did quite well, and so I was able to. Get on with my real passion which was the special needs community yeah and the elderly and the most vulnerable what we discovered is that if we could service the needs of the most vulnerable members of our community then we could service every need of the community all the needs of uh, the needs of the entire community that way the needs of the entire community and that's what happened absolutely realized that until we began to focus on the most vulnerable of us yeah now how
1: many people do you think? I mean, now I think its it sounds like it's a more common thing, right? Like more uh, mobile barbers. Yeah. But at the time,
0: did you know anyone else who was doing it? I went around to all of my barber friends when I first got it. Because listen, to be honest with you, it wasn't the van that was the innovation. It was the smartphone mm-hmm. that changed everything. Mm-hmm. And it made it such that anything that could be delivered would be delivered. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so it was just a matter of time,
2: direct to consumer, right?
0: Absolutely, and yeah. I was afraid of Bezos moving into the
2: barbering industry, <laughs> to be honest with you. But Jeff, uh, if you're hearing this, please, oh my god, have mercy <laughs> on the barbering industry. or
1: that bring is. on Russell to lead that That's team. i have yeah. him be
2: the COO of those. Uh, yeah, bands. we got
0: data for you. There you go. <laughs> but we we decided that it was just going to, um, you know, that we had to get out ahead of the industry. If you think about it. The smartphone made it such that we could do our advertising on the phone. Yeah. The money is on the phone. Yeah. The directions are on the phone. The communication instant is on the phone. Everything's on there. Yeah. And so it made it such that we had to revisit our business models. And it is our position today that in some form or another, in some some variation, mobile, fresh air, hair care centers are the standard of the barbering industry going forward we absolutely not least of which is the health and safety issues but also economic Mm -hmm. you know it's to a time now where a barber has to actually we're at a time now where barbers actually have to do the math and think how is it that you're going to own the means of production what's the fastest means by which to own the means of production well you go out and you buy a, a cargo van and you convert it and that's what's going on now so you have barbers now who are Know, looking to liquidate their, their brick and mortar and get out of that and get out of those leases and take that same money on the means of production. And that's where we are today. It's the flexibility, the ability to, um, to move around and to, to service clientele uh, you know, in a flexible way. That was you know, the versatility of it all yeah. is what changed the industry. Definitely, definitely. And you were in the forefront
1: of that. Especially. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So tell us a little more now. Going into, I like to ask a question to my guests or our guests. It's not really my podcast. It's your guys' podcast, everyone out there listening. Uh, I like to ask about the guest upbringing because I strongly believe that the way one is raised, the environment in which we grow up in has a huge effect on who we become. And especially if we decide to do something business related, how we go about that business now uh, You did mention in your instance how going to prison and having all this, uh, I guess you could take extra time, if you will, in quote, quotation marks, how that helped you change your perspective in a positive way. And I'm sure that's affected how you do business now. And maybe that's somehow how the idea of becoming mobile came to you, right? Indeed. But as far as your upbringing, like I'm talking, you know, from when yeah. you were a kid. Like, whoa, whoa. what
0: was little Russell like? I was always encouraged to be thoughtful, imaginative. I was a reader as a child. I was encouraged to be confident about what I pursued in life. Ironically, my mom and I moved to Honolulu to escape. Some of the dangers she saw here in Long Beach We're originally from Long Beach. Mm-hmm. My family is the oldest Negro family. In okay, city of Long Beach, we've been in Long Beach since before Long Beach was Long Beach. We wow. Know, um, we, we call ourselves Wilmore City Negroes. Wow. That's, here. That's the term they
2: use. Wilmore it. City, why, if it's okay. Yeah.
0: Well, oh, it used to be called Wilmore City. Yeah. It wasn't Long Beach? No, oh, not wow. at all. It didn't well, become Long Beach. History until, lesson, let's go. Yes, it became <laughs> Long Beach in 1897. Wow. That was a while back. I think it was, huh? 1897. <laughs> And we, uh, my family arrived here. They were with the Baptist mission. So they came here on a mission, on a religious mission. Okay. And so they were here when the city was incorporated. Mm. And, and so, yeah, see, we work a long way. So my mom and I moved to Honolulu when I was 12 in an effort to escape, she thought, some of the dangers she saw arising in our community. Such so, as, if you may? The drugs. Okay. The crack, the mm-hmm. PCP, the other things that were just running rampant in, gotcha, the, gotcha. in the community at the time. And so she thought it was best to get me out. Well, that worked from 12 to 20. And then when I moved back, it was really interesting because the very thing she wanted to protect me from, mm. I became vulnerable to. Some people have suggested that the inoculation, the immunity that I would have received against that was, was remaining here. Hmm. others say well no that was you know it was a matter of choice and this that and the other well okay maybe a little bit of both maybe a little bit of both Uh, but i do know that after having spent as much time as i did in prison i was no longer vulnerable to the things that i was once vulnerable to and um that's what changed you know the the entire the that prison that mass incarceration experience when the story is told from the inside out That's going to be the story, much like the slave narratives. We didn't realize it until it was over that we needed to capture, you know, that information. But, Mm. you know, everybody had heard it from the outside in, but nobody heard it from the inside out. Right, right. Those of us who spent 15, 20, 30 years in prison are not the same people. They didn't realize that they were creating therapists for the world.
1: Yeah, which, I mean, it's crazy. And I, I think a lot of people, when they think of that story, you know, it's usually with a very negative connotation you don't really hear like you said you don't really hear what good came from it you know and that's that's another story that I would really like to be able to share uh, with you or with the audience rather but yeah I'm sure I'm sure we could figure something
0: out but my upbringing was you know I had a Christian upbringing my mom was really good we went to church and so I had a basis for some faith for you know something positive in life it wasn't that I was just un you know yeah I had something to work with and so that as I grew many of the things that I learned because I was, I grew up in a single, single uh, parent household, Mm -hmm. but many of the things that I learned uh, in in prison really, and I have to admit it, it it really did. There are some things I learned about manhood in prison that I, my mother and my father could never have taught me. Interesting. If, If
2: I may interject, what were the concepts of manhood that you grew up with in contrast to what you later learned?
0: You know, in my family, when the men got upset, they became very emotional when, when, you know, being loud and emotional and, and, and acting out was the thing that you did when you got angry. Mm. Well, in prison, it was the opposite. If you got mad, the first thing you had to do was calm down okay. and be quiet. If we can see that you're mad, then that's a problem because then the officers can see that you're mad. <laughs> and that means you're a snitch. So, <laughs> you, mean have you can't to, get a hold of your emotions, you right? You have to. That's right. And that means that you have to, and it's considered, it's considered, you know, I can't use the word here, but you know the word I'm looking for, the B word, yeah. cannot do that. You have one time to lose your temper and to, to lose it. And so that when you are, when you understand that and then you come back into society, you know, the things that would once make you fly off the handle, you just, you, the first thing you learn to do is calm down and, and be quiet and think it out and get, get a hold of yourself. And uh, But, you know, we had lots of, listen, I will tell you an interesting story. When I first got there, there were people in prison from the 70s. They There were some political prisoners still in prison. And so when we got there with, in the mass incarceration, they did not view us the same way as they viewed people in previous generations, in previous years. They viewed us differently. And one guy uh, took me around the yard. He says, you know why these guys are in here like this? I go, oh, what do you, yeah, murder. He goes, no, that's the charge, but that's not the reason. I'm like, well, what's the reason? And he says, the reason is for having female ways on the street. I'm like, what? That's not the word he used. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? These big gangbang, you know, these guys yeah. are on swole, They're gangbang. Like, what do you mean by that? No, I can't see that. And he goes, let me explain. Ninety-something percent of these people right here were raised by women. And so they have female emotional tendencies. But that's a dangerous thing when you combine it with male masculinity because you will kill a man over how you feel. Wow, mm. And that's the reason these guys are in here. These that, guys aren't in nuts. here because their lives were in danger. These guys are in here because they were in their feelings.
2: Russell, that's powerful stuff. Yeah. Yikes. So, i never, ever thought about it like that. Yes.
0: He said this, the deadly combination, female emotionalism and male masculinity combined will make you kill a person over how you feel. He says you never kill a man over how you feel. Because tomorrow, you're not going to feel that way. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be just as dead. He says, so you can have emotions. You have a right to the full panoply of emotions. But as a man, you can never allow yourself to be governed by them because you're already lethal. You're a man. Right. You're already lethal. Wow. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that we learned. You know, people, we learned all kinds of, we got all kinds of tools. There was one therapist. Her question was, are there any words, mere words that can make you become violent right now? And the answer was unanimous. Everybody was like, yeah, 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 right? <laughs> and the was a room full of you know, people in jail for, for life. And then she goes, okay, follow-up question. Will there ever come a time in your life where the mere words spoken to you by other people will become irrelevant? Words intended to de- denigrate and to put you down in some case. And then the answers were no longer unanimous. People were all over, well, when I get about 80, when I get out of here or whatever. Mm. And then she followed it up by saying this, guys, do you not know that there are some people in this life who are so secure in how they view themselves That you can say anything to or about them and they'll look at you in your face and laugh at you because they don't give a damn about what you think, much less about what comes out of your (laughs) mouth. She goes, if you're the kind of person who'll be walking down the street and somebody can simply say something to you to get you to change the trajectory of your thoughts and your actions toward violence, you're not in control of you. That person is. And if that's the case, you belong right here in prison where you're at because you're out of control. We cannot trust you. And she goes. Besides, consider the lives of the people that you're so concerned about what they think and say about you, and notice that what they think and say about themselves is not even working for them. So why in the world would you ever consider what they think and say about you? We were stunned. We had never heard anything like that before
2: in our lives. You hear a pin drop in that room. Absolutely. Yeah. And she had to. She had to. She had to
0: go like this to snap us out of it. Okay, guys. See you next week. <laughs>
2: You guys right. Just right, we were just, just, like, we just were happened. <laughs>
0: we had never heard anything like that before.
2: How do you come back from that? How do you like? Well, what do you we would do, that? we
0: would take it out to the yard. See, everybody in prison didn't have to go to okay. Mm, to, you didn't have to go to therapy. See, some guys had dates certain. Others of us didn't. We had to earn our way home. So we would come to the yard and translate this high-powered therapy that we would get into, you know, convict terms, Whoa. so everybody could <laughs> learn. And so we learned about codependency. We learned about you know something like this. She said she was really good. She goes, she goes if you were in a sick relationship, if you're in a sick relationship, uh, toxic relationship, dysfunction, you have two options. Even if you're the victim, you must either sever the relationship or you must find a way to alter the nature of the relationship. But if you don't do one or the other, you're complicit. You're in on it. You are an enabler. You are a codependent. Because you have done nothing to stop what's happening. So you're going right along with it. And once we learned that, we, we hadn't we didn't know we didn't know. Right. We thought I mean thousands and thousands of people who came up in good homes were now in prison during mass incarceration and we couldn't figure out how.
1: And that, that was it. Right. That was it right there. You know, and so, so we we
0: really, you know, the guys uh, who spent that much time. Statistics show the guys who spend the longer amount of time in prison on one stretch are the least likely to ever go back. And that's what's happened. And so now that we're coming home, there were bets on either side, you know. So some people would, you know, they got paid to advocate for the state. So their thing was, Oh, this is the worst person in the world. Never let him out. He did Mm -hmm. this, he did that, blah, 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 just any other. But that's their job. And then you have other people saying, Nah, this is the most wonderful person in the world. This guy can do it. You know, we've spent a lot of time on this person. He's proven that he can and so, when they began to let people out, the real test was, "What are they going to do? Yeah, and then a guy like me, of course, went from the pit of the penitentiary to the pinnacle of his industry, and so it bore witness to all of the wonderful things uh that that the state of California really contributed to our rehabilitation.
1: That is just so
0: it's so much, man <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> It's wonderful, first of all that that you know you have this perspective, obviously it was gained. But I guess maybe this is coming from what how I would feel not knowing exactly what the, how the whole process was. I would probably be very upset because of all the, you know, can I be, to quote unquote uh, felt stuck there, right? Which is maybe what a lot of people who are on the outside, really that's what they feel. Because they have a sense of freedom, but it's not. Real freedom, and you have talked about that too off air. How, well, what's that phrase about bondage that, that you, mm-hmm. you've mentioned is, a couple of times? That's right.
0: It is better to be free in the midst of bondage than it is to be bound in the midst of freedom. Yeah, yeah.
2: I remember when you said those words to me when that's we were right. talking.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh, because in time, what you are, and not where you are, your life will produce according to what you are, and not where you are. And that's what we did not know. What we understood, what we came to understand after all of that reading and all of that study and all that research and being exposed to universal academia for the first time is that identity produces destiny and that if you really want to control your destiny, you can, but you have to control your identity and that the war of life is always a war over the way you see yourself. The things that come to knock you off your rocker always attack your self-concept. Your self-definition, your self-perception. People get on drugs; it's the same person, but they just don't see themselves the same anymore. Right. And as a result, the trajectory of their lives spin out of control.
2: Russell, if I if I may ask, you know, you're talking about that you you faced, you know, doing hard time, mm. you know, you faced these these problems that led you there, right? And now you're talking about self-reflection and how you view yourself. Mm. How did that now translate or influence? The business person that you later became. Mm, a good question. How did that be, How did that manifest into what you are now?
0: It is my position that all of us have a dream, a goal, an ambition, a hope, sure. a vision for our lives. That's the thing that gets you up in the morning.
2: An end game, yeah. You know.
0: And I think, based on what we came to understand, that you have to extract the identity of victory from your vision of victory, and bring it back to where you're at right now. And embrace it with absolute confidence. And if you're willing to walk and talk and think and act like that right now, those actions and choices and decisions will produce the vision that the identity came from. We didn't know that. Mm -hmm. that. I'm trying to tell you. We were under the impression that we needed to dominate situations and circumstances and environments and people and pressure and all of
2: that. Things you can't really ever have control over. Absolutely. Yeah. Only to discover
0: that, you know, so two times, very interesting story. I had Muslim friends. I'm a Christian, but we had Muslim friends. Sure. They allowed me to fast with them during Ramadan. Now, if you don't, I don't know if you know it or not, but they read the Quran. Yeah.
2: yeah. During Ramadan.
0: Okay. Well, I read my Bible from cover to cover in those 30 days. So I fasted oh. and read my Bible. And it was really interesting because I got some of the most extraordinary revelations. And I was familiar with it already. When you sit down and read it like a book. And you're fasting, you don't have any other thing to do but sit down and read it. You're focused. Yes, and you take it in in a way that you never did. And what I found out was that whenever the Almighty got ready to change anybody's life in the Bible, in the he would always, he would never give them dirt poor. He would never give them a pot of gold or a flock of sheep. He would only and always give them a new identity, mm-hmm. a new self concept. So Abram became Abraham, Sarai became Sarah, and all of a sudden their lives could produce something now it could never produce before. Jacob became Israel. On down the line, Gideon became a mighty male. So he'd be like, you're this now. And they'd be like, huh,
2: what? No, not me. I can't. <laughs> me? Look at That's so true. Moses. King even. Saul went from Absolutely. a shy, tall man go. to there a powerful king. There you go.
0: There's mm-hmm. even a scripture associated with King Saul. It says, from that point, he became another man. Right? Okay. So. In, I when, like that. When Samuel came and, and did that. Mm-hmm. And so um, what we discovered is that if you can, and brainwashing, another thing.
2: You really found that correlation, huh? Oh, yes.
0: Listen, brainwashing is a wonderful thing so long as <laughs> you are the one with the soap in the water. <laughs> I because love that. I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> because there's a lot of crap that needs to get out of there. Yeah, but honestly. You, yeah, but you are the one who needs to be in control of that. And when it comes to your identity of victory, it's a tailor-made identity for you. Notice that throughout the biblical scripture in the, um, uh, text, what was interesting is that it was never he turn people into another person but it was really the ultimate versions of themselves yeah exactly you know and that's the thing that we we really tied in because we didn't understand we were losing because we didn't understand the nature of the fight we really thought the fight was over the situation and the circumstance whether it's social political whatever and not really understanding that the fight is over the way you see yourself right I tell people all the time, if I give you an apple right now, what have I also, gave, also given you the means by which to produce apples? Yeah. Uh, the size, the taste, and the color of the apple is for consumption, but the seed inside of it is for production. There you and go. And that's the issue when it comes to your dream, your goal, your ambition. It's the seed, the identity inside of it is what you want. And if you will plant that into the soil of your mind right now, it'll turn your life into that kind of tree, and that tree will produce the fruit that the seed came from. That's so the real it. question is not so much what the seed came from but when did the seed come from did it come from your past situations circumstances Are you because if you define yourself in the present based on the elements of the past your life will reproduce those elements in your future but if you define yourself in the, and if you define yourself in the present based on the elements of the present your life will reproduce those elements in your future but on the other hand if you define yourself in the present based on your own vision of your victorious future your life will have no other choice but to produce those elements wow. in your future and that's what we didn't understand. That is powerful. Yeah.
1: That is, yeah.
0: Man. I'm gonna say, Levi, listen, if you can seize control over it, because it's a moment thing. It's now, like we talk about it in, in you know, in, in Scripture. It's now faith. You know, but it's really, it's a universal phenomenon. It's, it's human. It's human. It's a human phenomenon. You know, it's about this moment right here. I'm trying to tell you, if you can seize control of this very moment, then you can seize control of every moment. And if that's the case, then you can seize control of your destiny. You know, it's as easy to be great as it is to be small, because if it's all organic anyway, yeah, it's all a matter of seed anyway. The seed, put, you know, contains every element. If you were to cut an apple seed in half, you won't find an entire orchard or an entire apple right. tree, but it's in
1: there. It is. Yeah, so, yeah, that makes sense. That's absolutely true.
0: You're gonna you're gonna keep me
1: thinking so long after we finish recording this, man. <laughs> It's good stuff, very insightful, very deep, and very true, nonetheless. And a lot of what you're saying is, is, you know, things that that I've heard as well, and it it, it makes complete sense. Like, if you want, you know, something as simple as, uh, I want to be a happy person, something like that. Okay, well, you have to decide now that you want to be that person and then start acting accordingly if you don't, if you continue to do what you've been doing, I mean, the definition of insanity, right, is trying the same thing and expecting a different result.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, would, I would go even deeper. Okay. Let's go deeper. I would say that actions, choices, and decisions are really not the sources of destiny. They're really the product of identity. Let's face it. There are some, everything that you do, there are some things in this life that you will do. Yeah. But there are some things in this life that you simply will not do. Right? But it's not because you cannot physically do it. It's because those activities don't correspond with the way you see you. That's true. So we know that an identity not only empowers you to do certain things, but it restricts you from doing certain things as well. Yeah. Yeah. So anything with that kind of power has to be absolutely under your control. Right? Because it causes you to do what you do and, and inhibits you from doing the things that you should not. So you have it's like software, right? Mm-hmm. This hardware can do amazing things. But the software is the issue. yeah. And I tell people all the time, you know, this, these unimpeachable platitudes, this one-size-fits-all, general application identities that we've given to, oh, you're just a good person. Well, that's just not good enough. <laughs> that's Why? just because, the part. <laughs> right, because look, there are some particularities about you. There are some uniquenesses about you that only you are aware of. You and your creator are aware of. You know, there are a combination of attributes inside of you that, you know, and so anybody who tries to come and just, you know, give you a one-size-fits-all, general app, off the rack kind mm. of thing, It's not going to bear witness to what it is that you bring to the table. And that's what we need. And the reason why we have a vested interest in your dream coming true is because it's going to bless us as well. So we need you to operate in the ultimate version of you. We need you to identify your identity of victory. We need you to answer the blessing question. What is your most glorious self-definition in your vision of your victorious future? I mean, if your dream came true, what would you say about you? Because we need you to be that right now. <laughs> Walk like it, talk like it. Yeah, right now, right now, right. And then we win. And that's the point. That's the thing. And so when I think what's happening now is we we need to we need the best of humans. We need the best of humanity right now. And so you know what you're doing and what others are doing with regard to inspiring people, bringing the best out in people, illuminating, accentuating humanity. that's what's happening, man. It's where we are today. Yeah. It's
2: no longer a... Uh, I, I think the the toxic way that corporate America existed over the past hundred or so years was I'm doing this because I'm special. And I'm up on top and I'm at the top of this skyscraper because I'm special. And you see what I'm doing? You can't do it. Yeah. And people fed into that. It created an entire entire generations of, of worker bees. And there's nothing wrong with having just an, an employee job. That's okay. But what I'm saying is that people lost that identity that you're talking about of, I can do this. You know, if, if I want to go ahead and do a, a, you know, a barbershop that is community focused, I can do that. Had you have never found that identity or, or worked on your identity, that probably would have never surfaced for your, for you yourself, you know, and your life would have taken a completely different course.
0: And the frustration of taking actions that seem fruitless. I mean, If you're just in there watering dirt and people see you watering dirt all the time and they don't realize that there are seeds underneath, you can look ridiculous. You're
2: going to look crazy (laughs) for a long time. Yeah, a really long time. (laughs) And one has
0: to be willing to look like an absolute fool for a season.
2: I'm strictly convinced and I like what you're saying. I've never had an anecdote to go with it, but that's true. People with my business, they would tell me, you know, what are you doing? You're not making any money. At one point, you've got to know to call it quits. You know, in other aspects of my life, you know, what are you doing? You know, it's, it's not being fruitful. You're not getting anything back. So why, why bother? And it's like, you guys, it's not about that. I know that there's something there that can grow someday. All I have to do is just patiently water it.
0: I explain to people, it's not the apples on the tree that make that tree an apple tree. The apples merely bear witness to what that tree has been all along. Yeah. <laughs> it, was it was being overshadowed by bushes. It was what it was. Right. I, and it's the same thing with anybody else. You know, I think we have to give respect to people's identities of victory. And, sure. their, and we have to understand that we're not, we can't necessarily see the things that are going on inside of this greatness inside of people, man. Yep. We're shocked to see what it is, you know. Which brings us to the, to the point of the resistance. You know, there are some people, not. I just have to mention it parenthetically, there are some people whose own self-concepts depend on a degraded version of you. And when you step out of what it is that they have in their mind is supposed to be for you, you disturb the way they see themselves. Right. You know, and so you can be, you know, people who are high achievers, you'll hear them talk about sabotage and abandonment and betrayal, jealousy, envy. You know, these are some of the things that come along with it. Even if you're being a blessing to your family and your community, you know, there are some people who just don't have an interest in seeing you that way. Yeah.
2: It's it's a tough reality to face. Yeah. and And it's one that like you said, if you stop and you listen to everything people say, and even good things, good things can go ahead and shape your identity and, they, and it ruins the path, that the good path that you were on, It's it, you're going to derail pretty badly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, Sounds yeah. like the doctrine of Balaam. You know about Balaam and Balak. Remember, he said, I can't curse what God has blessed, but I can certainly, you know. Make suggestions. Uh
1: huh. Uh huh.
0: Next thing you know, it seemed like it was positive, right? Yeah. They were driven off course answers. Yeah.
2: Again. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Absolutely right.
2: And so now we've touched on that. We've touched on identity and and how it's, it's bared fruit. But what are your plans here and after with what you're doing yeah. as as a mobile barbershop?
1: Mm-hmm. Kind of touching on that, I'd usually ask the guest to speak of a sour and a sweet story, kind of, you know, hence the raspberry lemonade theme. Maybe we could tell that story because, uh, you know, you mentioned you had, you had to go to court. Tell us that's that story. How yeah. I think that's both sweet and sour.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, has a happy ending. Yeah.
0: Well, it was tough because we were doing something that no one had ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And the um, city of Long Beach and others, you know, people, when they see things that are different, they're going to raise an issue. And um, so they, they came and gave me citations and, and took me to court. And I assured them, I, this, I tried to explain. Um, and as I said to the judge, the judge jumped on our side right away. I said to the judge, Your Honor, the only people who've ever come to complain against my business have legs. And she goes, excuse me? I go, let me rephrase, Your Honor. The only people who've ever come to complain against my special needs oriented business came walking on their own two feet. If that's not despicable enough, Your Honor. And then the prosecutor tries to interrupt and She goes, no, excuse me. I need to hear what he has to say. Continue with what went on. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm like, in the spirit of full disclosure, Your Honor, I was in prison for 20 years. And I can assure you that every warden at every prison I was ever at made sure that every inmate, regardless of crime or time, received a basic sanitary haircut on a regular basis, free of charge, at taxpayer expense while his taxpaying victims have to roll around our city streets unkempt and disheveled because he cannot afford a healthy and safe haircut. Well, that means that the warden has greater values for convicted felons than city officials do for law-abiding citizens who, are, who have special needs. And I'm not prepared to live in a city like that, Your Honor. Wow. And she jumped on my side. Do you have law? I'm like, sure. She goes, well, come back with your law. Like, All right. So Did I, Russell
2: even need a lawyer at this point? Right. right. Know. Just a formality. I know.
0: So, when we came back with the law, and then I was representing myself, so the prosecutor had to deal with me personally, and he came in the room with the. Uh, she appointed me backup counsel, and uh, just to, you know, so I could understand all the, you know, the legality. She respected the case. But I, I even got in him. I'm like, man, why are you. I can't. I don't understand why you're fighting this case anymore because it's my job, man. What do you, what do you mean by that? I'm right. like, because you have legs, man. And then he said, I get it. I'm a veteran, man. I'm like, bro, you mean you have buddies and brothers who I serve? I serve those people. How dare you attack what it is that I'm doing? And he put his head down and he says, you know what? This case is over. And he walked out and that was the end of the case. She dismissed the case. Wow. Wow. Yeah. She they dismissed the case. So I brought the, I brought the, the law. There's a, a law under the California Board of Barbering and Cosmetology, which is essentially the volunteer exemption. It's what enables barbers and cosmetologists to go to skid row and to funeral homes. It's what enables, I don't know if you know it or not, but in a prison yard. uh, First of all, I should tell you, you know the warden, the way you look right now is mandatory in prison. The reason the warden makes everybody look very nice. The reason (laughs) why the warden makes everybody have haircuts and look good and fresh and clean in prison every day is because it's suicide prevention. Mm. Two suicides in a row will cost him his job. It is against the rules to look bad in prison.
1: Someone might ask, wh- how does that prevent suicide?
0: Because when you um, start looking bad, the first telltale sign when a person is going down that path is they let themselves go. Absolutely. They let themselves go. Recently, um, um, a reporter from the Press-Telegram came and interviewed me. And her, I asked her after it was all over, what is it about what we're doing that moves you so deeply? And she says, well, I suffered from depression once before in my life. And I remember what happened when I got my hair done, and how it made me feel. Wow. And she goes, because it's considered haircuts are basic sanitary. Haircuts are considered fundamental human dignity in prison. Yeah, they're not. It's not commodified. Anybody can give anybody a haircut. Why? Because it's preserving your life. Mm-hmm. It's making sure you look good. Right. And so once you get exposed to that that those kinds of values, the values that say even no matter what you did. No matter, what, you're a human, and you deserve to look good. Yeah, it's hard to get. It's hard for me to to see my neighbors looking bad because they don't have money. Yeah, it's hard for me to look at a retiree or a um, a, uh, a disabled veteran who has to look raggedy because he doesn't have money. Right. Wow. Yeah. It's diff- the warden wouldn't have him looking like that had he committed a crime. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And most of these
2: people are just law abiding every day. That's habits. exactly right. That's and exactly they're right. They're not entitled to that, that, that is privilege right. or that Well, that, that basic human right, like you that's said. That's right. Not a privilege, it's a basic human and that's right.
0: And that's what bothered me. Yeah. And so I was willing to take them to court. I was willing to go to court and, and let them know, listen, I'll see you in court. We'll let the, me and the judge get paid to think.
2: <laughs> yeah. I
0: get paid to solve problems. Okay, there we have sure. problems in this community and I have solved a major problem. Yeah. in this community and, and and
2: you won because the principle of it was a noble and you know it was a good cause well as it turns out
0: yeah. it was the law yeah <laughs> so there's a law that, that <laughs> is a provision for the volunteer exemption right so it says outside of a licensed establishment but without compensation in other words you can't have a price list up right and they don't have to pay you so it's volunteer donation right and i'll cut your hair for whatever what kind of hairstyle do you want okay i'll do that for what i'm a volunteer though because that means if i make a mistake you can't sue me <laughs> <laughs> all right? i want a
2: shaved head today yeah.
0: <laughs> i changed my mind all right
1: we have reached the end of the episode time's gone by so quickly a good one. and oh, a i think we were there. actually on on the on a phone call for an hour last time True we right. talked and that went by so fast i could only imagine and i'm sure that the listeners are hungry for more hope we could have you back another time maybe we could actually touch on more on the uh story of you know the mass incarceration and the story from the inside out cuz i think that's a wonderful story too that that needs to be told but for today the last question i like to ask maybe sometimes even the hardest one for the guest is if you had to choose your current song like a uh, current life soundtrack or a song that kind of embodies Uh, how you've been feeling lately or just kind of uh, the vibe, if you
0: will, what song would that be? That's an easy one. There's a song by Stevie Wonder. Okay. Okay. One of his many, many hits, right? Mr. Wonder. That's right. But it was on the album that he got eight Grammys for. Oh, It's called Visions.
2: People hand in hand Have I lived to see Or is this a vision in my mind?
0: that's that's the song why that song oh, he says uh some, there's a reference and i may be getting it wrong but he says uh have we reached the promised land you know we're you know have we gone so far you know have we come so far wow you know and i have to tell you something you know, today we can read, write, go, come, buy, sell, ride the front of the bus, drink at the fountain, look, walk down the street, look everybody in the eye, go through the front door, participate in all civic activities. Yeah. And now we can take captivity captive because we're operating in identities of victory that are particularized to us as individuals. If we're not singing Free At Last right now, we're never going to sing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. If we're not singing it now and we're not inviting other people to join them. with us to sing, then we're never going to sing it. And so we've come a long way. And and I think that we should be living in victory right now. We should yeah. be operating in the optimum.
1: Definitely. Right now. 100%. How's
2: that, Russell? Thank you yeah. so much for that. And
1: thank you again for taking the time to do this. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. I can't wait to see what you do next. And uh, where can people find
0: you? Are you on social media? Yes, I'm on social media. I'm on, uh, if you go to... Uh, TikTok, it's Russell the Magnificent. All right. right out. There you go. Give this
1: guy a follow. Yeah, I've seen a couple of your videos too. Also very motivating, very straightforward too, which I like. like. This is this is just the way it is and you know if you take this on or you put this into practice, like you're gonna have success with it. It's gonna change your your life because you'll change your mindset. That's right. So
2: and you're gonna view things as successes. That's
0: exactly. Um, you're a you're a success going somewhere to happen.
2: Thank you. Ooh. Ooh.
1: That's thank the tagline. So right I feel there.
2: Feel a lot less lame today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, Russell. Well, this has been Raspberry Lemonade. I'm Levi.
2: I'm Mickey Ram.
1: I'm
0: Russell the Magnificent. There we go. We're
2: Hope all you. magnificent today. That's right.
1: Have a lovely day. <laughs> This has been
0: a Red Bird Studio Production. We hope you've enjoyed the program.